Hey girls and ghouls, welcome to Slashers Prefer Blondes, a podcast where three brunettes talk the kinds of movies that bite, scream, and slash. I'm Natalie. I'm Heidi. And I'm Laura. And today we're taking a trip to Bly to save the children and discuss Jack Clayton's 1961 film, The Innocents. Okay, so if you guys remember last time, we were talking about how each of these movies that we're picking for our first few episodes are indicative of the kinds of horror that we gravitate to as people. So we're getting a lot of different points of view, a lot of different like opinions, a lot of different subgenres that we prefer. And The Innocence was actually Heidi's pick, if you want to go ahead and explain why you picked this film. Yes. Okay, so a couple of reasons about why I picked this film. Before I ever saw my first horror film, my first foray into spooky stuff was actually ghosts. Okay. So ghost films are just kind of what I've always gravitated towards. But in the last few years, I've really come to appreciate old horror films. And by old, I mean pre-1970s. But also mostly like black and white films. And so The Innocence is like a perfect cross section of movies that scare the shit out of me and black and white horror so that's why i picked this one yeah i think that's interesting too because like if i were to tap like three genres that i usually try to avoid it would be black and white horror (laughs) it would be ghost horror and it would be creepy children movies. And guess what? We got all three all hacked three. into this tiny little bow into this film. But I actually do really love this film. And I'm glad that we're talking it's about really it. Yeah, It's the holy trinity, some may say. Mm-hmm. And actually, one of the other reasons I really love this is that it's actually my fifth adaptation of The Turn of the Screw that I've seen. Across, really? like, well, several different mediums. Aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I did not realize. I mean, I should have figured this out but i did not realize how many adaptations have been made and even within the last few years like Mm -hmm. what in last year i think we had the turning but we also had the haunting of bly manor yes Mm -hmm. yeah so it's obviously a story that people can't get enough of and want to do more retelling of have you seen the turning or the haunting of bly manor laura I haven't. I've seen neither. Okay. I haven't seen The Turning. The soundtrack for The Turning fucking goes off. Like, it's so good. But Heidi said it was really bad, so I never watched it. Yeah. Hot take. <laughs> it's shitty as fuck. It looks <laughs> shitty. It really looks shitty. And the thing, like, I was going to mention this a little later, mm-hmm. but now that we're talking about it, I so I watched this film. I was like, that yeah. was good. That was atmospheric. That was creepy. That yeah. wasn't over the top. Still yeah. managed to be scary. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, I'm just going to rewatch the trailer for The Turning because I'd seen it before, but I wanted to kind of compare it now. Yeah. And it's just like, I mean, it was the same story, but it seems like to make it scary, like the first shot I saw was, what's his name? The kid who plays Miles. Finn Wolfhard. Yeah. Yeah. Like a spider coming out of his mouth. And I'm like, why is that necessary? Um, I would be curious to see how they account for that in the story. I they don't personally like Finn Wolfhard is very good in Stranger Things and he was very good in the It movies. I don't think that he's great at playing super serious roles yet. He's still young. He's still a child. 
because like I don't I can't imagine him in the role of Miles like I can't imagine him doing it the way it needs to be done if I remember correctly he was fine but he played like the very sinister aspects of it like he went full into I'm a creepy kid yeah yeah he was also how the the Miles in this was kind of understated the Goldfinch movie yeah I, yeah, I've heard of that. I haven't seen it with what's his name, Ansel. Ansel Elgort. Yeah, I watched. Ansel I read the Goldfinch last year during quarantine, all fucking seven hundred pages, and <laughs> then I watched the movie because I was like, I want to see this adaptation because I just spent so much fucking time reading this book. The movie is so bad. Mm-hmm. I didn't like love love the book. I liked it, but like the movie is, it's bad. It's like mm-hmm. funny bad if you've read the source material, but if you haven't read the source material, it's just bad. So like. <laughs> yeah yeah and like he was not great in it like that poor kid they didn't give him enough time to like learn the accent i think Mm -hmm. was the biggest issue so once again though it was like a serious role where he played like a lighthearted character but it was still like a more serious role and it just like didn't stick for me so like that's why i haven't seen the turning i did see blind manor and i'm excited to kind of talk on that a little bit later Mm -hmm. i mean i'm i it's kind of on my list of things to watch i just haven't gotten around to it did you watch hill house really good I've heard it's more like kind of gothic romance as opposed to The Haunting of Hill House, was, which was just yes. kind of mm-hmm. scary shit. Yeah. It's still scary. Well, I think, I think Hill House but... is, at, at its core, Hill House is a family drama. And yes. I think Haunting of Bly Manor is at its core a romance. Agree. Which is cool. So, yeah, it, it would be unfair of me to judge The Turning, having never seen it. But the kind of sense that I got from the trailer was that it was trying to make the film scary or what we consider scary today by just Mm -hmm. like adding the hand that in the original film was found at the like it was just implied that the that miles found the hand at the bottom of the river or Mm -hmm. at the lake it's like she has a hand walking across her back and like yeah oh that's super scary here's a a severed hand it's like showing the things like y'all we all saw the adams family implied in the original like (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) things can be scary without seeing them but it's like i don't know i feel like a lot of horror films yeah do that like let's make it scary by showing them exactly what we're talking about there's no like horror in in the mystery yeah Mm -hmm. or uh, horror in what's not seen yeah kind of not to sound like an old fogey yeah to speak to that actually before we had watched this movie for halloween natalie and i i had seen a play of the turn of the screw and it's almost entirely told by one person and you never see a ghost or anything it was one of the most compelling pieces of theater i've ever seen it was so good who is it told by Who's the narrator? Miss Giddens. Oh, okay. Yeah. Isn't she, but it's like she's almost... unnamed in the turn of the screw. Yes. But it's like the the play is like almost entirely her monologue. It's just cool. like what's been happening. It's, it was really cool. It was like this tiny little black box theater told in the round. It was like really cool. Yeah. When we first watched this back in 2018, because we were watching it, because every mm-hmm. Halloween we do a little horror marathon. And then we rank all the movies. And um, this is not me. Just <laughs> yeah, no, I am not a part of this. It's, it's me and Heidi. I would be, but you should be. But you should be. It's a it's I mean, a huge time commitment. I know so you're like, watching I get schedule. It. I am a bit slow to watch. Yeah, <laughs> no, that, this is not supposed to be like a let yeah. me in type thing. I mean, every year I send you the list. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. I ask for the list every year. I'm like, yeah. what are you guys watching? 
so many yeah when we started wa- when we went to watch this i had very low expectations admittedly like i was like it's black and white yeah. it's like ghost movie there's creepy kids in it like this is not gonna be my bag but like i loved it and then one of the really interesting things well which we'll probably get into more when we go through the summary is that like i realized after watching it again because i've seen it twice over the past two days yeah. and after watching it for the first time the other day i was like i missed so much shit during my yeah. first watch of this mm-hmm. movie I was like Me too. watching stuff and yeah. I was just like, what? Because like when I watched Bly mm-hmm. Manor, I was like, wow, they really like added so much and like embellished on this so much. Mm-hmm. Like all of it mm-hmm. is in the original. Like all of it is in the innocence. <laughs> I'm just like fucking dumb, I guess. I just yeah. like, did not see it the first time I was watching no, it. No, no. Like I, I totally get what you're saying. This is the first time I've seen the film and I watched it twice because I knew, especially because it's so dialogue heavy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I knew that I was going to miss things. And so the first time I was like, okay, I'm just going to get the narrative down so i understand what's going on and then the second time i'll pay more attention to what they're saying how exactly they're saying it and the Mm -hmm. way that it kind of coincides with what they're showing so yeah it's definitely kind of dense in that sense and that probably is because of who wrote it it's also definitely like a you watch it the first time you're like okay is it real or is there not real like that's that's the that's the compelling (sighs) bit of it then you watch it the second time and you're like okay i'm sorry what like what has been going on (laughs) Yeah, I just like yeah. missed all of the like intricacies mm-hmm. of the relationship between Peter and Miss Jessel, and like yeah, all that stuff that's really really brought to life in the Netflix series, but like mm-hmm. isn't as obvious when you're watching The Innocence. And I think that well, it's like it it's is not that it's not obvious. She there. like point blank says it, <laughs> but like you would like she's just like, like this is what's time, happening. You're just like well, literally, there is literally a scene where she says. Yeah, they need to use the children to be together. Whatever and I wrote in my notes. Oh yeah, I literally wrote yeah. in my notes. They can only fuck again by possessing the kids. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Which oh, was yeah. I, I had the same experience though, Natalie, because like when we watched it a couple years ago, I was like, wow, this is great. You know, like I just seen the play, so I was like, I totally understand what's happening. But when I watched it, having you know seen Bly Manor a few months ago or whatever, I was like, oh god, like how did I not realize that that that's what this movie was saying wild listeners i would definitely recommend if you've watched the haunting of fly manor to give this movie a try if you haven't seen it already because it does have some pretty key differences from the netflix series because the protagonist in the film is not a lesbian and is also sorry if that's a spoiler that's a spoiler laura i'm so sorry i was gonna say is Um, she in the show spoilers for fly manor i'm so sorry I mean, people should assume spoilers. I, it's okay if you spoil it for me. But it's like kind of like it's kind of like a, big of a spoiler. It's not that big of a spoiler. Like it is like one of the big talking points of the show. But like, I was really happy when I was watching it because I was like, oh my god, is she gay? Like, what is happening? And then like, she ended up being gay, and I was like, oh my god, she's gay. Like, <laughs> like, is there a Miss Giddens in Bly Manor, or is it someone who's kind of standing in for her? Oh, uh, her stand-in. name is Danny, but she's okay. essentially Miss Giddens. Yeah, just she has okay. the same role. Okay. It's just Updated. a different background. Because mm-hmm. it also takes place cool. during the 1980s instead of yes, whenever this film mm-hmm. takes the place. Victorian the Victorian era. Victorian era. era. Mm-hmm. I just said area era. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. So like, if you watched *Blind Manor* and you really liked it, I would highly recommend this film because it's very it's a very different take on the same story. Yeah, and it's a lot With more a fraught. lot more ambiguity. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. definitely it doesn't have the same emotional core as *Blind Manor* does. It's a lot mm-hmm. more I would say sinister, honestly, and a lot I more psychosexual. <laughs> yes yeah so (laughs) i am going to be interested to see what you two have to say about this having seen it maybe a few more times than me yeah 
just because I still feel like there are things that I did not pick up on. Oh, so there might be points oh. in this conversation where I'm like, what? I did not I see that. that. Um, and probably feel extremely dumb, but you know, there are go- going to be things that I did not pick up. No, on. like fully last night, Heidi and I were talking cause we were right. Mm-hmm. We were working on our book and we were like, t- we were talking and we were like, okay. I was like, full disclosure. Um, I feel dumb when I'm talking about this movie because like, I just don't, I, I'm like shook about how all the stuff I'm like, all the stuff that I was missing. And then like, I went mm-hmm. online, I started researching cause I actually like re- did some research on this film because mm-hmm. um, like, cause coming out of Slumber Party Massacre, coming out of It Follows, rip that episode, it got ruined. Um, <laughs> and coming out of like other movies that we've talked about, just like as friends in the past, like, I'm like, okay, yeah. I got it. These are the themes I want to discuss. This is what I'm thinking. But, like I yeah. went out of this one and I was like, what the fuck just happened? Like, what was that ending? Like, what is going yeah. on? Oh yeah. Yeah. Genuinely is Miss Giddens okay? Like, I don't like, <laughs> so like, <laughs> was I... she ever okay? I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Like, yeah. So I was like, I feel like completely out of my depth, but I also like, after like Same. talking to Heidi a little bit about yeah. it preliminary and even like talking with you guys right now before we even get into like the meat of the episode like I feel like we definitely are gonna have stuff to discuss for sure yeah. but yeah like don't worry if you feel dumb because I definitely felt dumb I was like reading okay, the yeah, academic you, article like- yesterday and like texting Heidi like I'm a dumbass like I, I didn't see did. any of this shit like <laughs> what um what article did you read uh there's one on the were you talking about the Criterion Collection one I read the Criterion Collection one and then I also read another one that I had up, but for some reason is gone now. Is so. it about sexual repression? Um, I read a lot of articles about that. No. Because everything I saw basically well, yes. when I was looking into it was like, this movie's about sexual mm-hmm. repression. And at first I was like, what? Like, I, I could yeah. see it. I could see it, but it wasn't like super clear to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the more I think about it, the more I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Especially set during the Victorian era. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't finish this article because i just didn't but i read like the first half (laughs) of this article of it was called cinematic ambiguity james's the turn of the screw and clayton's the innocence so it's like a Mm -hmm. contrast kind of between like the play and the Mm -hmm. film and like how each use like ambiguity to draw on the core themes of like Mm -hmm. psychosis and sexual frustration so like Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was reading it and I was like, okay, I did not get any of the sexual stuff. And like, I don't know if it's because I'm not okay. from 1960s, the 1960s, right. or if it's because like I'm just used to films being more obvious sexually. Because I, yeah. yeah, yeah, you guys know me. I fucking go hard for a film that has some weird, fraught sexual stuff going on in it. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. God it's knows usually why. a bit more overt, though, or it seems more overt. Yeah. yeah. So, like, yeah, maybe. And thank you for saying that because I felt really really dumb i know i was like i feel stupid like i but like (laughs) none of us are stupid we're all very intelligent women and i think that (laughs) i think that a lot of it has to do with the difference in genre than like the genres that we're kind of accustomed Mm -hmm. to and then also Mm -hmm. the difference in time period because when this came out it was the start of that kind of sexual revolution you know what i mean it's come out in 1961 Mm -hmm. yeah we are just at the very 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 forefront of this like huge movement where things are Mm going to get really in your face and this is like a precursor to that and it really plays on that ambiguity and it really plays on like that mm-hmm. idea of is this what you think it is or is it not what yeah. you think it is? And yeah. that's why I think the script is so like excellent. Yeah. And mm-hmm. what's really interesting about the script, actually, the original draft of it by William Archibald, mm-hmm. who is also credited for the screenplay, it was based on a play that he had written as well. And it, it fully just believes that everything is supernatural. And the director, yeah. Jack Clayton, was like, I disagree Hello. with that. He was like, no, <laughs> yeah. no, man. Yeah. And so he hired his good friend, Truman Capote. And Capote was like, 
nah, psychosexual imagery everywhere. But yeah. when Clayton went to go direct it, he was like, okay, we're just going to like talk about the ambiguity. Like just whatever you do, just be ambiguous about it. Like we're not going <laughs> to lean a certain direction, despite the fact that Truman Capote like rewrote the entire script. So if, if you're, if you're getting like mixed messages from the film, you're supposed to, and it's supposed to be, I guess, kind of confusing. I also want to discuss what this psychosexual imagery is because I don't think I picked up on it. And that's usually like something I'm looking for. Like fully, that's the, like, okay, the biggest yeah. thing about this article I read is like I'm going through this article and I was like, I'm sorry, but like how is this fucking tortoise a representation of sexuality? Like, okay, yeah, it's I was not. wondering what Rupert's meant to the signify. The thing is, is that it's fucking not. Like if it is, it's not. If it is, then they thought things differently back in the day. Yeah. I think I think personally yeah. like I read the tortoise as like a connection of the natural world. Yeah. As opposed mm. to like a sexual thing. Like the article I read was like, well, she Tortoises puts it in a pocket sexy. in her dress and she so? sleeps with it. Where else are you supposed and to And I was it? like, I okay, I sleep with my phone and I put that in my pocket. I want to fuck my phone. Like, what are you, like, <laughs> what are you <laughs> talking let's about? This. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's dig deeper. Well, we should probably talk about Yeah. The, yeah. We should probably start. Summary. Summary. Yeah. Let's, let's get into the summary. I like that we're already excited about it though. All right. Buckle up. Miss Giddens is a woman who loves children above everything else. And despite having no experience as a governess, she is hired by a wealthy bachelor to care for his niece at his beautiful country home, Bly Manor. Okay, I'm already ready to interrupt you. <laughs> I was going to say, we need to talk about that scene. <laughs> Can I finish my sentence? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. She was hired by a wealthy bachelor to care for his niece at his beautiful country home, Bly Manor, after the sudden death of the former governess, Miss Jessel, less than a year ago. Okay, before we talk about the scene with the uncle, I want to talk about the opening of the film. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's yeah. valid. Okay, so, because when I was doing my rewatch this morning, I mm -hmm. was like, okay, this opening shot, like, it opens with the song A Willow Whaley and Flora singing it, mm -hmm. which is, mm -hmm. I don't know what it means. And it's about a lover. It's a lover <laughs> yeah. lamenting the death of their yeah. Okay. And it was like that's written thematic. for the film. That's totally thematic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. The okay, the the fact that we see like the we hear the birds happening. Yeah. The pigeons. That's interesting. The fact that her hands are in prayer, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. when it actually shows her face, she has like this very honestly like Deborah Kerr like she's yeah. so good at seeming strangely like euphoric and also terrified yeah. at the same time mm -hmm. well and also well that scene is also a flash forward like that's a scene that we like come and like the dialogue is something that we hear a lot later so she's like in the middle of this devastation where she's realizing what's happening to the kids or like what she believes mm -hmm. is happening to them so it it would make sense that she's not quite manic about it but like she's like in fervent prayer I mean, yeah. she's she's really desperately mm -hmm. trying to get someone to help her because she's in supreme authority of these children. Yeah. So it's it's all on her. And I can imagine, you know, mm -hmm. how that would how anxiety provoking that would feel. And I just mm -hmm. I really, really, really love the way that they have her say, I love the children more than anything. They need affection. Yes. Mm -hmm. love so they need mm -hmm. affection. They need love. Someone who will belong to them. And then like, yeah, directly after that, in the very next scene, we get the uncle saying the exact same thing. Yeah. And in a yeah. completely different tone, with a completely different intonation. Yeah. And the meanings there are so very like, they feel different. flipped. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's hard to read what Ms. Giddens means when she says that. Like when the uncle says mm -hmm. it, it's so matter of fact. Yeah. 
It's like they just need somebody who's going to be there for them, you know, who's going to, mm-hmm. like, be present and be able to, like, care for them in a way that I don't. Yeah. And when she says it, it feels, like, actually kind of sinister. Yeah. She's like, you know, they. I just I just have to belong to them. Like, I, I'm their sole protector and I'm taking I, full responsibility. Yeah. This might be kind of getting too far ahead of, of where we are, but I guess looking back on that initial scene, now I kind of think about, like... Because I kind of saw her as trying to save the children, but also in a way kind of save herself because yes, it seems like, she, well, she does also feel like she's in danger. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's kind of like her yeah. fate is entangled with the fate of the children. So I have like thoughts about that. Well, I mean, later Mrs. Okay, Gross Yeah, I mean, says, I do too. So I don't want to. Yeah. Later even, Mrs. Gross even says like, are you afraid he's going to corrupt you? Like <laughs> he'll corrupt you. Yeah. 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 That's a big part of how I saw the overall film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we can get into that a little later probably. Yeah, for sure. But the first, the, the scene, I do want to talk about the scene where she's basically taking the job. For sure. Oh um, yeah. I'm almost done talking about that. Go for it. Okay. There's only one catch to this job. Whatever problems arise, Miss Giddens must deal with them herself and never bother him. He values his freedom and traveling too much to be bothered by his niece and nephew who were orphaned and have been in his care since. So Miss Giddens is so fucking hot to try for this uncle. Oh my yes! god. I didn't I know. notice it. The she first is. Time. But then I noticed this. I didn't either. The things that really got me were okay, also the uncle is like talking the uncle's like being kind of like bordering on flirtatious. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. My London life amuses me, but it's not the sort of life one could suitably share with children. What the fuck does that mean? Mm-hmm. And then when he's like, I have like absolutely no time. He was like, he's basically like, I have no time for these kids. I don't want to be around these kids. I hate these kids. Yeah. And then he's mm-hmm. like, does that seem heartless? And she's like, honest, but not heartless. It's like, girl, are you listening yeah. to him? He doesn't give a shit about these kids. And you're yeah. like, oh, oh no. my god, I yeah. so, and they I know so it. respect like, that. Like, <laughs> they absolutely know it, and it's like they tragic. Know it. Yeah. Because I mean, if you think about it, their parents are dead. And I think the film mm-hmm. says, like, they've been orphaned since infancy, yeah. pretty much. And mm-hmm. instead of, like, caring for them, he's just like, go to my isolated country manor, and I never want to see you again. Yeah, right. And not only were these kids orphaned, the people who were in their care, who, like, were caring for them next, were also murdered or, like, killed or died. You know what I mean? Or committed yeah. suicide. Yeah, like, like, whatever. Who knows what happened have to so them. much trauma piling up. Yeah. And they're only, what, Miles is probably, like, 10 maybe like 10 ish yeah yeah so the thing that really got me the second time around was the language that the uncle uses Mm -hmm. yes and it really it almost made me think that they kind of have and this goes along with what natalie was saying about like this weird attraction that she has Mm -hmm. to him there's almost a symbolic relationship between them at least how i read it because he uses words like he says the person i engage to do this he uses the Mm -hmm. word engage and yeah, then, that's like, like a very Victorian. Yes, but also when she accepts the job or when she's about to, he says, give me your hand, give me your promise, which sounds mm-hmm. like an engagement to me. Like mm-hmm. those are the words that you use when you propose to someone. I mean, you know, they're kind yeah. of, they're kind of and, proper And also words, but. later when she's like deciding if she wants to go see the uncle or not, she's like, I don't want him to like think that I'm just trying to like get his attention. So like he'll notice me and like. Mm-hmm. pity on me or whatever did you guys also notice that when flora takes her mail i was yeah. like can i read your mail with you mm-hmm. she's like oh this one's from my uncle you look pleased i'm like girl yes. like okay flora. yeah and there there are several other lines too like when she's talking to mrs gross she says he does seem to prefer them young and pretty yeah and then later on miss giddens is talking about how she gets easily carried away and she says that's what mm-hmm. happened to me in london kind of like yeah. i got carried away by him so like these lines that they have kind of interspersed throughout the first mm-hmm. probably half of the film 
just yeah. kind of to me painted this this kind of weird relationship between her and the uncle yeah well because like all of this attraction to him also underscores her repressed sexuality throughout the film like it kind of puts everything into context like she's just thinking about how she wants to bone the uncle the whole time but she can't because <laughs> she's thrown away in this manner i think that it also one of the things I, well we can talk about a little more later but like one of the things mm-hmm. that i kind of noted that i kind of wanted to bring up and it kind of it starts in this first opening scene is this sort of sinister or like manipulative and even violent aspect to masculinity as it's presented in the film yes oh yeah he's literally like taking advantage of her like she's never done this before yeah Mm -hmm. and like you can tell that he's wanting to give her this job because she's never done it before he likes them young and pretty he's taking advantage of women who are young and pretty he Mm -hmm. basically kind of bullies her when it comes to stuff about the children like he wants nothing to do with them and he's just Mm -hmm. kind of pawning off his responsibilities on this woman and she's fine with it because she's charmed by him and Mm -hmm. the idea of um, the male characters in this movie being really charming or manipulative is like something that you see with all Mm -hmm. three of them that's how um, mrs gross talks about the uncle it's how she talks about miles and it's how she talks about quint so yeah and it's kind of in that sense i saw a parallel i saw several parallels between miss giddens and miss jessel but one of them was kind of their vulnerability to yeah I mean, if you want to call it vulnerability but that's the best word i can think of now to these domineering men and their mm-hmm. and their whims mm-hmm. and you know because he instructs her never to complain or never to trouble him mm-hmm. basically says take them over and leave me alone yeah. so in that sense it's kind of like she's a governess but like their adoptive mother and all of these responsibilities are thrust onto her and she's Mm -hmm. supposed to just take care of them without having any intervention from him any assistance of the sort like that's that's fucking insane like that's ridiculous there's no way that that should be acceptable but she's just fine with it like honest but not heartless it's like okay miss giddens get your shit together listen to what's happening to you right now it's like there's some like honor to him being like i acknowledge that i don't care about these children you know but you know at least i'm giving them someone who will take care of them despite the fact you are unqualified doesn't he even say that when she mentions like i've never done this before and he's like well that should Mm -hmm. show how much i trust you yeah yeah literally yeah yeah Yeah. knowing that some shady shit went down i mean i'm sure he knows he would have to know that something happened with you know quint and miss jessel would he though would he? I mean, if I mean, he doesn't care. If Mrs. Gross, I guess if Mrs. Gross never said anything. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that all the instructions to all of his staff are don't bother me. Like, you can talk, talk to the person who's in charge. He knows yeah. that she at least died, but he might not know how. He knows he knows that she died and he knows that it traumatized Flora. That's about it. This might also be me reading into it a little too much because I've seen Bly Manor. But mm-hmm. one thing that I thought was really interesting and like, Maybe like this scene informed something in the TV series and it's not actually in the original source material. But so when they're at the house and like after she sees the grounds and walks in, like what we're going to talk about next, when Miss Gin says like he seems to like them young and pretty and then Mrs. Gross breaks and starts talking about Peter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's not talking about the uncle. She's talking about Peter. At least that's what I thought. And I was like, okay, yes. in the television series, like in Bly Manor, Peter has a hand in who gets picked. So, yes. like, mm-hmm. I was wondering if it was, like, they were purposefully mirroring the two of them to, like, show mm-hmm. that, like, they have mm-hmm. a similar, I guess, like, M.O. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. And she also, like, makes a point to say, like, Mrs. Gross, the housekeeper, makes a point to say that whenever the uncle was out of town, Quint was in charge. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. 
Well, anyways, continuing on after this meeting, Miss Giddens is instantly taken with Bly Manor and her young charge, Flora, who insists her older brother, Miles, will be coming home soon from boarding school. And odd things happen as soon as Miss Giddens arrives at Bly. She hears a woman calling Flora's name, but Flora and the housekeeper, Mrs. Gross, deny hearing it. And that evening, after her prayers, Flora asks where the Lord would take her soul and suggests that there are some who remain behind to wander instead of being taken to heaven. Let's talk for a little bit about this opening scene where she meets Flora. Okay. I like a the way that they kind of weave in the woman calling Flora's name. Like, it sounds like it's coming from the music and then you suddenly realize it's not and then it's over. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like the, how it mm-hmm. adds to the ambiguity. But I also really think that this first scene of them at Bly is sort of indicative of one of the huge motifs in the film, which is the yeah. natural world and like the flowers and like the mm-hmm. intense, I guess, like floral motif that happens like throughout everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like how that's where we meet Flora because mm-hmm. obviously her name is Flora. <laughs> <laughs> she's outside a lot and she's constantly... Mm-hmm with nature a lot and i don't 100 percent know what that means but i do like the idea that you have this delicate innocence that is a it is like a cover for something and i think that that's kind of a theme that we see throughout the movie and i also wanted to talk about the roses inside Mm -hmm. so like she walks in and she's like oh my god i love this place and there's like a bouquet of white roses on the table Mm -hmm. and she goes to touch the white roses and they like fall apart yeah and mrs gross says oh don't worry that happens all the time And there is something to be said about the idea of the flowers coming into the house, being touched, and then falling apart. Well, yeah. And I mean, think about like a lot of the imagery that people talk about when they talk about like virginity or like innocence. Mm -hmm. It's like your delicate flower that you have to protect, right? Gross. Right? No, it's 100% a thing. Yeah. And I mean, also like going back to what you're saying about like flora being like in nature all the time, it kind of like reminds me of the garden of eden oh yeah and flora talks about all the time about how like this place is heavenly and it's like wonderful and even miss mrs gross says this is a heaven for children yeah it's it's got these beautiful grounds it's a big house you know it's kind of idyllic in a lot of ways but clearly there's something in the garden that's ruining things it also kind of foreshadows the significance of the garden and like the lake to flora because i you know Mm -hmm. it's implied that or i think they said that's you know that's where she was with Miss Jessel a lot, and that's where Miss Jessel appears yeah. to her. And, yeah. and also where Miss Jessel killed herself. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think it's just kind of building the association yeah. there and, and kind of implanting that significance yeah. in our minds. And the first time we see Flora, we like we're seeing the reflection of her in the water, which is like mm-hmm. another tie to Miss Jessel. Mm-hmm. Who you always see not always, but you mostly see at the lake. Well even mm-hmm. when she's not at the lake, when you see her inside and she's crying. Oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Water. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I kind of wanted to mention was immediately, like, genuinely, like, right off the bat, we're getting gaslighting from Mrs. Gross. I mean, is it gaslighting? You could read it both ways. You could read it both ways. But I also think that even if you don't want to say that it's she's explicitly keeping things from Miss Giddens, Mrs. Gross is constantly, like, being like, oh, don't worry about that. That's, like, her entire mm-hmm. thing. Like, what is the what is the phrase that she says all the time? Stuff and nonsense. Yes, yeah, stuff and nonsense. Stuff and nonsense. She says it all the fucking time. And... Mm-hmm. Because she's just writing off all of this weird stuff. Even if it's just weird shit the children say. She's like, eh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, they're just being kids. Like, don't worry about yeah. it. 
I mean, she's also, she's been with these kids since they were tiny, though. So she's probably just like, you know what? They're fucked up kids. <laughs> I mean, she knows what's happened. I mean, well, yeah, depending yeah. on how you read the film. I don't think Mrs. Gross thinks that anything supernatural is happening. I don't know what Mrs. Gross thinks, but I do think yeah. it's really interesting that Mrs. Gross just continues to keep so much from Miss Giddens, mm-hmm. despite the fact that Miss Giddens is like obviously losing it. Yeah. Girl, like tell her about Peter and Jessel just fucking it all the time in the but- house. Like, why? Why would you talk about that? When because you know that it's obvious that's the son. worst thing. The worst thing is to see people having sex. That is the most corruptive Apparently. thing for kids, yeah. uh, according to like Victorian morals. Yeah. So I have two questions about Mrs. Gross. One, yeah. do you think she actually believes Miss Giddens? And does she know what's going on? If you read the film as ghosts are possessing the kids. Because I couldn't quite tell if she was just going along with Miss Giddens or if she sees Miss Jessel at the end or mm. really what she knows, what she believes, who she believes. I, I wasn't quite sure. I think that if we are reading the movie as this is actually happening, ghosts are real TM, mm-hmm. I believe that Mrs. Gross is trusting Miss Giddens enough to leave her alone with Miles. If she thought that there weren't ghosts happening, I do not think she would have left that boy there alone with her. Well, okay, but you also have to take into consideration how Flora is acting in that moment. Maybe I don't want to leave Miles alone with her, but also I can't just leave Flora the way that she is. Well, you could have taken Miles with you. They could have both gone into town. Yeah, I guess that's true. At several points in the film, it seems like she's on to what's going on, but she's not telling Miss Giddens the whole truth. Mm -hmm. And truth is a big thing in this too, because... Mm She doesn't want to scandalize the house or yeah. the children. But then at the end, when Miss Giddens is like, you saw Miss Chessel at the lake, didn't you? And she's like, I know what I saw. I didn't really know how to interpret that. Well, and she elaborates on that after. She's like, you know, I didn't have to pretend that I believed Flora. That wasn't pretending. Like, I believe that we didn't see anything. Okay, so you took that to mean that she did not yeah. believe what Miss Giddens I'm was saying. I'm firmly in the camp that Mrs. Gross doesn't think that weird shit is happening. Okay. I also agree that Mrs. Gross doesn't think that weird shit is happening, but I do think that what is important is that she is deferring to Miss Giddens' judgment. And yes. that's why I'm saying that I think that mm-hmm. if she was 100% sure that Miss Giddens was wrong yeah. and that there weren't ghosts, she would have taken Miles with her. I think that she is like, yeah. you know what? I believe you. And I don't know if it's, I'm not 100% sure why, but I think it might be like an intellectual thing that she's just deferring to Miss Giddens' yeah. judgment because she perceives Miss Giddens as better than her or like smarter mm-hmm. than her. Well, Miss Giddens is in power. Yeah. She's the one in charge. She says that the only person you can judge is yourself, basically. But mm-hmm. what about when Miss Giddens confronts her and says, you had the feeling that they weren't gone? The reason that you're afraid yeah. is because you had this feeling that they weren't really gone, like I yeah. think. There is some, I think, credence to that, too, because it is odd that Mrs. Gross immediately jumps to like, oh, you must be talking about Quint and how you've seen him. And she's kind of like taking it back. Maybe she's seen Quint before Mm -hmm. wandering around, but I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. And then my second question that kind of goes along with that is, do you think that Mrs. Gross, you know, later in the film, she says you shouldn't wake a child from a bad dream. The shock is too much Mm -hmm. for them. Do you think that maybe she is in that bad dream herself and she doesn't want to wake herself up by acknowledging that that's what's going on because it would be I mean, kind of too much to her too much for her to yeah. handle i mean that's a possibility yeah. that i was tossing around i mean you could also apply that exact same logic to how she's approaching what's happening with miss giddens she's like i don't mm-hmm. want to overly confront you about this because you're obviously fucking True. losing it yeah yeah obviously i don't know for sure but i definitely came away from the film thinking that mrs gross doesn't believe that there are ghosts on the premises 
but Mm -hmm. does believe that the imprint of the death of Peter and Mrs. Jessel was traumatizing and was still affecting the children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that the way that I was reading it was her being like, yeah, no, they are still like big presences in these kids' Mm -hmm. lives, but they aren't physically here. And her being like, okay, when you're describing this person, it sounds like Peter, but like she literally just said that she saw a picture of him in the attic. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But the first time that she sees Quint, she hasn't seen the picture. So I thought that she had. The first time she sees no. him is when he's on the tower and she and she yeah. doesn't know who the man oh, is. Oh, yeah. Okay, and then yeah, the second the time he's outside the window. Yeah. The first time she sees him, she can't make out his face, though. So, like, she right. just Correct. sees a figure. But there's definitely a lot about, and I was trying to put this together and I, I couldn't quite get there, but there's a lot going on with sleeping and dreaming. You know, Miss Giddens is having a lot of trouble having a deep sleep and she's tossing and turning all night. And then Mrs. Gross talking about waking a child from a bad dream. Just, I was like, yeah. there's something there, but I don't And know. Flora and Miles watching her sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Let's keep going. We're having so much fun. Let's I know. Keep going. <laughs> Let's keep going. All right. So the next morning, Miss Giddens receives a letter from Miles' school saying he has been expelled for poor behavior and being an injury to others. Mrs. Gross can hardly believe this to be true and insists that Miles has always been well-behaved. Much like with Flora, Miss Giddens is instantly charmed by Miles, who brings her flowers and says that she is far too pretty to be a governess. Fucking flatterer. Number one of the times that Miles comments on on how pretty Miss Giddens is. Yes. (laughs) So unsettling. There's an article by Offscreen, that goes into the fades and like the superimpositions. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And they actually pointed out this scene. So there's a statue in the garden Mm -hmm. of the, is he, I don't even know who he is. There's a guy Mm -hmm. and he's like a romantic statue. And (laughs) that is like superimposed on miles. The first time you see him, which I think is really, really interesting. Statues are another motif. So they're doing a crossfade. Is that what it's called? Yeah, crossfade. crossfade. To Miles, to, film <laughs> to Miles on yeah. the train? I mean, yeah, like Miles and statues are very much so yeah. paralleled. And yeah, it's just interesting that it's like Quint is also one. very much so parallel. He comes out of statues multiple mm-hmm. times in the film. Yeah. I also kind of want to bring up, if we're, since we're talking about statues, that yeah. scene where she's in the garden trimming the roses yeah. and oh, she moves aside some flowers and there's that yeah. statue of, I think, a child. Yeah. It's a child with disembodied hands. Yeah, holding yeah. two broken fucking hands mm-hmm. and then a beetle crawls out of its mouth. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second because I think that one of the biggest mm-hmm. themes of this film is deception or like something looking one way that yes. actually being another way. And the fact that the flowers mm-hmm. are covering the statue makes yeah. you think that like Flora is covering a sinister nature within Miles. Mm-hmm. I actually read that differently. That's completely fair. Like that was just one way I was thinking yeah. about it. I honestly no, but did I think not I think that's a hundred percent valid. And I think they knew what they were doing when they called this film the Innocence, right? Mm-hmm. And so like there is a lot of conversation about innocence throughout the film. Mm-hmm. And the first time that I saw that scene, you know, I was just like, oh, trauma. That kid's holding disembodied hands because of the abandonment issues that they have, right? Mm-hmm. But like. As I thought about it, it's a perversion of the innocence. Like, this should be, like, a cute statue of this kid with their parent. But instead, it's, like, innocence is always being marred and corrupted in this house. And that Mm -hmm. innocence never lasts for long. And innocence dies eventually, right? It gives way to adulthood. And it's the terror. I mean, this film is based on the terror of something, like you said, that appears to be one way but is Mm -hmm. actually another way. So something that is supposed to be 
you know, children are supposed to be the most pure, yeah. innocent and sincere beings and them mm-hmm. kind of housing these what they think of as yeah. demonic spirits uh, in a way is is terrifying to them. And even then, like the very basic read of that statue would be like a child holding on to disembodied hands, a child holding on to ghosts. One of the things yeah. I really liked about yeah. this movie yeah. is how obvious they make the ghost metaphors. Yes. Like we were saying earlier, like when you first watch this, that's what you're picking up on because they're so... Mm-hmm. They're just fucking nailing it right to the door. Like, this is what, this is the first layer of this film. It's like, yeah, these children could or could not be being possessed by ghosts. And I think that what is so remarkable about the way this film was shot and the way this film was written is the way that those ghost metaphors are just the surface of something much deeper underneath about Mm -hmm. corruption and about sexuality and about Mm -hmm. what is and isn't okay. And... I think the statue is an excellent example of that. Like, it could, at its core, just be about, you know, hey, these kids are talking to ghosts. Or it could be about (laughs) the corruption of innocence. Or it could be about Mm -hmm. the way that Ms. Giddens is Mm -hmm. looking at the kids versus, like, how they actually are. Yeah. So interesting. All in one little thing. One little image. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the beetle slowly comes out of the mouth. It's nasty. They also have the image of the spider eating the butterfly, I think. Yeah, I loved that scene. I knew you would love that scene. I was like, yeah. "This is Natalie's shit." I have thoughts about that scene too. I don't. Think we I passed that. That's when they. That's when they yeah. uh, got the letter about the they explosion. find out about Miles because I definitely want to talk about. Yeah, I want to talk about Miles and his relationship to Miss Giddens, but I know we're gonna get there. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's probably something best served for the end because you have to get like a full, or at least up until the Miles. point where like he's yeah. being peak creepy with her. Because he gets there. Dude, he's Pete Creamy with her the entire time. I mean, time. okay, so yeah. When it's like, like when, the, till the very when it's most confrontational, like when he kisses her okay, and, and when the they're like scene. sitting yeah. by the fire, creepily warming their hands and just looking at each other. Yeah. I do want to quickly just shout out that actor. I forget what the kid's name, like the actor oh, who plays the child. Names? Yeah. He did a great job. It is Martin... Martin Stevens. Martin Michael Stevens. Redgrave is the uncle. Martin Stevens. I think because I looked him up on IMDb after I watched yeah. this to see what else he's done. He was like a child actor and then like lost interest in acting. Mm-hmm. But like he's so good in this movie. Yeah. I think that like this is one of those films like I am very picky about child actors. I Of course. This, yeah. this is one of the reasons why I don't like creepy kid movies. I think 90% <laughs> of the time they don't fucking work. Like the kid's just not a good enough actor and it's not because yeah. they're not trying. It's because they're just not ready yet. But yeah. this is like one of those movies where like the kid just fucking nails yeah. it. Because mm-hmm. I think that when a kid is doing it correctly, mm-hmm. movies like this can just be like the best. So I think that The yeah. Sixth Sense is another really good example mm-hmm. of that. Where yeah. like if that kid was a bad actor, that movie would not be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he is and it is. <laughs> if this kind of like informs how Miles is, he said in like I think a TED talk he did about being a child actor and like specifically oh, in The cool. Innocence, like what drew him? to this role was the power that miles has damn yeah and i thought that was so astute to be like this kid looking at this role and being like this is my chance to have power over an adult and like to experience what that's like that's being kinda, that's interested in that and i was like that's kind of fucked up yeah like i mean that's that's exactly like nail on the head that's what this kid is like he definitely is aware of the power that he holds and like the manipulation. The way he plays it, he's very smooth and he's very yeah. kind of suave in a way and like a, in a strange yeah. way. Like he is, I think Natalie might have mentioned it, like he's almost trying to charm. He is trying to charm Miss Giddens into, in a way to manipulate yeah. her. Uh, the way he always says, my it's dear. Oh my goodness. 
Well, he says that to right. everyone, and it's so like unsettling. And I was trying to figure out if that was a signal that he was being possessed by Quint at that time, or mm-hmm. or if that was just something yeah. that he said commonly. Yeah, one of the really big differences between this and Bly Manor is that they make the possessions very obvious. Where in yeah. this one, it's like, is this kid just fucking weird I know. or not? Like, you genuinely yeah. can't tell. Like, mm-hmm. literally, you watch like two episodes of Bly Manor, and you're like, this kid is possessed by a grown man. <laughs> yeah. Done. But like. In this film, it's like because of the acting and because of the quality mm-hmm. of the script, mm-hmm. you're like, which is it's genuinely it? hard like, to the tell. stuff that he says can also sound innocent. Yeah. Yeah. And his tone doesn't change too much. So it's not like, oh, he's speaking with a different tone. It's like, this is how Miles talks. It's just how he speaks. I did notice at the end, right before the final confrontation, I'm pretty sure you can hear him screaming, help, help, when he's outside. And then he walks in so, yeah. and that's when they sit down to have tea. So I kind of thought that was an instance of him being like, we hear him before he's possessed, and then we Ooh. see him after he's possessed. That's interesting. I didn't catch that. That's yeah, really interesting. I only caught it the second time. a lot of little time. fucking things like that where like, yeah. you're like, oh. Yeah, I know. Because I only noticed that the second time around, and I was like, who, who is screaming and why? But there's, there's only Miles out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could also be Flora. Like, they're just hearing Flora continuing. I mean, that's after she's scream. left, though. This is right that's before true. they're having tea. She screams for you. Almost positive he's screaming help. Yeah. And then when he walks in with that smug Okay, we haven't gotten we haven't gotten to this part yet, but like, okay. Mm -hmm. When she's walking down the halls at night. That happens after she learns about them having sex. She's walking around the halls at night, I think after they play hide and seek. I think so. Yes. I also love how they don't say sex. She says like Using day rooms for things done at night or something like that. Yeah. No, done in the or, dark yeah, woods. Darkened woods. Yeah, I was like, oh, I know. Yeah. Literally, when I realized that that was like code for sex, I was like, what the <laughs> fuck does that mean? Yeah. Anyway, we should talk about the hide and seek scene. But before we do, I want to say this is an instance of me catching something that they said that I didn't see the first two times I watched this film. Yeah. So like very quietly, very quietly. While she's walking around the hallway with the candlestick or whatever, you hear her look at a window and then you hear mm-hmm. somebody say, you're hurting me. <laughs> and yes. that's what she says in the attic, but it's oh, not yeah. her voice saying it. What the hell? I didn't catch Interesting. that. Interesting. I'll have to go back and watch that. I freaked out when I saw it. I was like, oh my God, because I had been noticing stuff like that this whole time. But I was like, that was the first time where I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Because it only happens in this Damn. one instance. And that draws another parallel between her and Miss Jessel. I love it. I know. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Anyway, back to the summary. <laughs> one day. <laughs> you're doing so well, great. Picking- One day while picking roses in the garden, Miss Giddens sees a man standing on the tower of the manor. Shocked, she races to see who it is and finds Miles playing with the pigeons. And he says Miss Giddens must have seen him since he's the only one up here. With Miles' return, odd things happen at Bly more frequently. While playing a game of hide and seek, Miss Giddens sees a crying woman walk across a hallway who doesn't respond to her. And then shortly after, she also sees a man float up to the window and peer inside. It's the same man she saw on the roof. After describing who she has seen to Mrs. Gross, the housekeeper confirms the man sounds just like Peter Quint, another former employee of the manor who was in love with the former governess, Miss Jessel, and was found dead on the stairs leading into the house by young Miles. Though the ghosts trouble Miss Giddens, she is also unsettled by Miles' behavior. He places her in a chokehold in the attic and doesn't let go when she says he's hurting her and acts far too mature for his age. He recites this unsettling poem while they pretend it's Flora's birthday that convinces Miss Giddens he must know about the ghosts. And with each passing day, and the more she learns about Quint and Miss Jessel's tumultuous relationship, the more Miss Giddens believes the children are pawns 
in the game of these deceased lovers who must be possessing the children and using them to carry on their love affair from beyond the grave. What shall okay, I say so when my lord comes a-knocking? Okay. Oh my god, it's a fucking good <laughs> poem. So good. That poem slaps. So Do you want me to read it? I have the text. It's really long. We don't have to read the whole thing. <laughs> it's not that long. It's so good. No, we don't have to read it. But like, okay, it's watch really the movie good. for that one watch movie. Moment. Because it's not going to be as good as when he reads it. And he's wearing the, he's wearing the fucking crown too. It's so great. Yeah. I love it's like one outfit. of the most famous famous images from that I mean, film. It is should like be. him looking over his shoulder with that crown he and he's it. like half in shadow. He killed so that poem. So good. And that's also, like, not even a poem that, like, exists. Capote just, like, came up with that. That's super cool. And it's one of those things, too, where, like, it really just hammers home the obvious ghost thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. if you read that poem, you're like, okay, this is, a, he is, he is possessed I by a spirit. Like, like, you're just like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. You're like, this kid is just spouting off this whole poem about his lord coming and, like, yeah. grave dirt. Yeah, because he does. He says, what shall I say when his feet enter softly, leaving the marks of his grave on my floor? Enter, my lord, come from your prison. It's fucking creepy. Oh, yeah. It's cool, though. It's really cool. It's like one of the best moments. It is. I really, really do like the hide and seek moment, though, because I really, really love the, like, terror of that moment. Yeah. It's one of those moments where, like, she feels safe and then suddenly she doesn't. Yes. Yeah twice it's like twice in a row yeah she thinks that she has the power and the control but then she doesn't mm-hmm. i want to talk about that scene in context of her hearing the phrase you're hurting me later yeah that evening yeah. because the idea that she's like you're hurting me and he's like am i and mm-hmm. she's like please stop it's too much or like whatever she says and he's like i mean is it yeah mm-hmm. he doesn't say it like that though <laughs> i he's mean like, no is it <laughs> is, is it, it hurting you yeah i said it like as i um <laughs> Yeah, But, like, <laughs> you get that idea that he's kind of mimicking the actions of Peter. And it's, like, whether or not yeah, he yes. heard that interaction between Miss Jessel mm-hmm. and Peter when they were, like, banging in the hallway or whatever they're fucking mm-hmm. doing. Apparently, they're just out, like, at spring break or whatever, just fucking well, everywhere. Remember, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of rooms that they don't they're use. They're locked and empty. Well, they're getting used. Yeah. And the, the doors are apparently left open because yeah. Mrs. Gross is no. like, I, she said no, that they literally, Miss Giddens says they went even though you saw them. And Mrs. Gross yeah. was like, they didn't seem to care. Mm-hmm. That's true. But also, like, there's also that moment in that dreamy type sequence yeah, where, where you hear like, repeated you over and over oh, and yeah, over yeah. again. Knock before you enter, knock before, knock you, before you enter, knock before you enter. They're, they're watching us. The children are watching. Fuck. Yeah, it's, oh my god, it's so creepy. Yeah. But, like, I think that that's a really good moment where you're like, okay, is he mimicking the behavior that he saw from another man? Right. Or is he possessed? And yeah. I think that it kind of hammers home that concept of, like, masculinity is inherently violent. And masculinity is, mm-hmm. like... But it also is learned. Corrupted. Like, it's also... Yeah. Exactly. 100% learned. learned. Yeah. Right. So it's not even inherently. I said inherently and that was wrong. But, like, it's violent. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it is, yeah. like, generational. And it's also kind of, like, mm-hmm. abuse begets abuse yeah kind of or abusive abuse behavior begets exactly abusive behavior yeah and like the way that like miles is literally fucking choking miss giddens in the floor is like oh my god my music box mm-hmm. like flora is wild yeah, to me she, like <laughs> she doesn't even respond yeah she's just like okay this is i normal. mean her first line is like are you afraid of reptiles or something like that yeah literally flora is so cool the whole spider eating a butterfly line i was like dude this kid is mm-hmm. like awesome <laughs> like yeah. she might be possessed she might be doing sexual things with her brother but like that she is cool (laughs) but like the fact that she just doesn't react to that at all is i think also indicative of something i don't really know what i don't know Mm -hmm. if it's the possession or if it's miles's behavior because like if she's willing to just overlook that behavior because it's normal to her yeah 
mm-hmm. we're taking it as her being like Miss Jessel or even her witnessing what happened to Miss Jessel, I'm sure he beat her in the open, basically. Mm-hmm. Her. Well, yeah, I mean, Mrs. Gross talks about yeah. that. It's like he would hit her and then like and she would come it. basically crawling back to him. So like crawling back. then it, yeah. it probably would not phase her. It's just like, oh, this is normal. Maybe not normal, but this mm-hmm. is acceptable behavior. This is her her reality. Yeah, exactly. You know? Miss Jessel is like full on listening to ultraviolence by Lana Del Rey and taking it all very seriously. And what I think is interesting about that is like that's that kind of behavior and stuff we're still talking about today. Right. Yes. We're still talking about romanticized violence mm-hmm. and we're still talking mm-hmm. about erotic violence. women who subjugate themselves willingly for a relationship with a man who's abusive right. and not mm-hmm. realizing what is and isn't abuse yeah. and yeah. how those lines getting crossed can affect mm-hmm. other women or children. What exacerbates that is like you also get a huge sense of isolation. I mean, they're at this enormous yeah. estate but they're in the country so it's kind of like she's with this man who is treating her that way but she probably yeah. had really no one to help her yeah and remember this is the victorian era true too. the way that they viewed relationships between men and women was also different true you know yeah i mean yeah but it's still in, it's still the fact that it yeah. still resonates now and it still resonated in 1961 mm-hmm. absolutely no you are 100 percent correct it's like yeah. holy shit this is a lot mm-hmm mm-hmm I had a question about that scene where she is walking down the hallway and hearing the the ghostly voices. I was wondering if that was supposed to be a scene representing sexual repression because she's listening to them having yeah, sex, basically. And I was like, if if I'm going to point to a scene in the film that I see that most prominently, it would mm-hmm. be that scene just because yeah. she also, it kind of frames her or positions her as a child, kind of like she's yeah. one of the children walking down the hallway hearing these mm-hmm. things that they would have heard. I love that. That's like, that's a really good read. Yeah. Thank you. Because I, yeah, I kind of saw her as like, <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of innocent in that way. Like she's kind of childlike, yeah. experiencing the things that they would have. And, and mm-hmm. those things are kind white of night almost yeah. corrupting her. It's also right after she's heard about that too. So it's like, she's walking around the halls, like imagining she's in that scenario. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like what that experience must have been like. Yeah. So I was definitely wondering if that was kind of representative of sexual anxiety or yeah. repressed thoughts about sex. I, I definitely would agree. I definitely think that that scene and the scene where she's dreaming and they keep superimposing all of those images on top of her dream mm-hmm. are the two yeah. things that really made me get like that sexual vibe. Okay. That wasn't mm-hmm. the dialogue yeah. being like Peter and Jessel were fucking all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like I also think that the way that Deborah Care is in this scene, like the way that she's playing it, does that thing that I talked about earlier where we're like, she's terrified, but she's also not? Yeah. Maybe it's like giddiness from adrenaline or like mm-hmm. something like that. But like there is a sexual element to the way that she's playing that scene. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. And it's like, it kind of brings you to this other theme of the film that we've already kind of talked about. But like how sex and violence are intertwined and yeah. like sex and fear mm-hmm. are intertwined. Right. And this idea that what is wrong or like what is scary is also titillating. Mm -hmm. And I think that the way that that comes out in this film is not typical and not what we normally see in films that deal with something like that. Hence the kid stuff, which we're going to get to. And um, (laughs) I think a lot of it just comes through her performance and like the way that she's reacting to this like horrific stuff that she's hearing because she sees that sexual element and it's like, it looks like it's kind of turning her on, but it's also like freaking her out. Mm-hmm. And she's yeah. like, I don't know what to do with this. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like how you mentioned like, is she filled with adrenaline or is she 
What is what does the adrenaline rush do to? Is it like slight arousal or is it fear? Because like she's definitely her senses are definitely heightened. Like they have close ups on like some sort of uh, it's a, it's a window and there's something like hitting the window repeatedly, almost kind of rhythmically. Oh my god, yeah. It it, it reminds you of like Ben. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah, and just like how she's <laughs> she's like looking around and she's she's noticing. Oh, different it's like things. love me, love me, love yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. So she's that definitely like in a heightened state me. of awareness, and we don't really know why. Yeah. I mean, we can assume different things. Yeah, but yeah, I de- that's that's definitely what I got from that scene, okay. and I I just mm-hmm. I really think that that this is the thing that I like about this movie, especially now watching it on a rewatch and like digging into it with this lens of like I'm looking at it for the sexuality, is that there is I don't want to say like something relatable, but like there is something like kind of understandable in her position here because I think that in society we see like these really weird things tied up with sex all the time, and it's like mm-hmm. stripping away the weird stuff and like being like what about this is interesting to me like Mm -hmm. and she's having this weird sexual awakening where she's like not really sure what exactly it is that's making it happen for her but she's Mm -hmm. trying to get through this and stick with her roots where she comes from like i don't know if we're at that part yet where she talks about her past but like she's like a preacher's daughter i didn't yeah that would have happened earlier yeah, like, she's, like, a preacher's daughter. She grew up in a really small household where she didn't have a lot of privacy. Like, yeah, and now she's yeah. in this big old house, horny no as fuck. secrets. Yeah. And she's just, like, trying to deal with all of these urges. Mm-hmm. And, like, they're coming out in weird ways. And she's, like, not really knowing what exactly it is that she wants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's scared. Like, this kind of goes into... Yeah. This might be a good time to bring up kind of my overall reading. Because, I mean, you can read it a variety of ways. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, oh, this is kind of dramatizing her anxiety as being as a woman, a keeper of morality, kind of. Like, especially during the Victorian era, women were supposed Mm to be the ones who Mm -hmm. kind of safeguarded their own morality and everyone else's morality. So the film is her trying to protect and secure the kids' morality and then, like, also Mm -hmm. preserve her own because she's also kind of innocent in a way and she sees herself threatened by exposure to these children and the ghosts. So that's kind of how I saw it. I think it's interesting, too, that, like, the film is obviously positioning her as a mother figure. Yes. yes. But there, the maternal themes in this film are all over the place. Oh, like, yeah. there's not any clear-cut maternal touchstones that we're kind of used to. Like, she attaches to the kids instantly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she is, like, obsessive over the kids, like, instantly. Like, it's yeah. almost strange. Because, like, it doesn't feel like the sort of maternal narratives that we're used to. Yeah. And it's almost like... I don't know, maybe this is me, like, reaching a little bit. It almost feels like she's overcompensating for something. Because, like, Mm -hmm. she's not Mm -hmm. their mom. She's being thrust into this situation. Like, yeah. Yeah. And she's doing her best. And, like, she's getting along with the kids. Everything is fine. But, like, you can tell that, like, something's not right. Well, it's kind of like she wasn't, you get the sense that she wasn't ready for it. And obviously we know that it's her first Mm -hmm. job. But, like, Mm -hmm. she wasn't ready, but she was kind of charmed into it by the uncle who, you know, was basically like, I trust you and kind of wooed her into it so in that sense she's Mm -hmm. kind of like a -hmm. mother figure who was ill prepared and not Mm -hmm. not assisted by the uncle in any way i think it's also interesting because we're watching a narrative about a woman in victorian times who is like eschewing the idea of becoming a mother and having a family and getting a job on her own instead and she's walking into the world this independent woman and she is getting a job as a governess and Mm -hmm. she is really despite all of that, embracing that sort of societal norm, Mm -hmm. you know? 
Yeah. It's just interesting. Like, I don't know what to make of it. I just think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, and the fact that kind of getting at what you were saying about how she's not technically a mother, but we're basically encouraged to read her as one because like, I think the uncle even says really the only thing that's on your application or whatever is that you love children more than anything. And that's kind of mm-hmm. like a code yeah. for, oh, she's, she's kind of a mother figure because she cares mm-hmm. so much about the children. Or does she love children oh, more than anything? God damn it. That's actually a question I had. Actually. <laughs> I don't. We'll, we'll get it's to the, that. But like, I don't, yeah. I <laughs> Let's press on. I, we've been talking. We keep pushing off the that stuff. We've been talking about for an hour. I mean, like, I, yeah. want, or, I yeah. want to talk. We'll get to. Yeah, we'll get to her and yeah. Miles. I do think that it's interesting that the before we leave the hallway scene. Yeah. I do think it's interesting that they decide to fill the hallway scene, like her walking around with a candle. I like how like gothic romance yeah. it yeah. is of it. Of Even course. like the whole basis of this film made me think of like Jane Eyre. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. governess coming to this creepy house and mm-hmm. like the the gothic romance, which is yeah. interesting because there is no like it's not a gothic romance, or is it? Like, mm-hmm. is she in a gothic romance with Miles? I don't know, but like. I think it's interesting that the film chooses to play on those tropes yeah. and does it so effectively. It definitely plays off the taboo. It's like, this yeah. is why we're here. Now watch. But I even like, I wrote down, while she was walking down the hall with the candle, I wrote down the phrase gothic romance vibes. Because I was like, this reminds me of mm-hmm. Jane Eyre. Like, mm-hmm. I get this feeling yeah. of something is happening and she's in this big mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. And oh like, my God. Crimson, Crimson, Crimson Peak. Yeah. Like, the whole vibe of that is inspired by this movie. For sure. I get that totally. Oh, that I was actually so thinking sense. about that movie while I was watching this. Yeah. I actually, like, I read that somewhere. Like, Del Toro was citing this movie. Like, this was the I vibe. mean, there are a lot of similar themes, too. With yeah. siblings and... Yeah. Yeah. I gotta, yeah. like, I gotta watch Crimson Peak again. I didn't love it the first time I saw it, which is, I like, either. strange for me because I'm usually, like, a Del Toro bitch, but, like... Yeah. I didn't love it because it wasn't what I expected. I liked... I, so I was like let more down. the second and third time around. I will say that. Genuinely, you think, like, we're going to a movie, and the, the plot twist of the movie is that there's incest and, like, sexual depravity, yeah. and I'm, like, coming out of this movie like, I don't like it. Like, <laughs> what is wrong? That is not my MO at all. So, like... <laughs> I think that like something just got lost in translation, but we're not talking about yeah. the Crimson Peak. We're not yet. About the innocence. <laughs> Keep walking us through that summary. So yeah, where were we in the summary? <laughs> I just want to apologize to everybody trying to listen to the summary and not knowing at all what is I happening. I think it's fine. I think people are smart. They're intelligent. They can they can figure it out. <laughs> Mrs. Gross convinces Miss Giddens not to talk to the priest for fear of scandal. And just before Miss Giddens can leave to go to London to see their uncle, she sees the ghost of Miss Jessel once more and decides the children cannot be left alone and must be watched carefully until Miss Giddens can enact her plan to have the children admit what is happening to them. She sees the ghost of Miss Jessel crying yeah. in the classroom. That's another great way to draw parallels between them because like, she literally sits down in the chair that Miss Jessel was just sitting in. Which is like wild. I don't know. I don't know what any of it means. Uh, well, the <laughs> the most wild part about that moment, though, is that you know we know that the the that Miss Jessel was crying, but there's like an actual teardrop on the wood. Yeah. Yes, he's the reason for the teardrops on my chalkboard. Scream! <laughs> that was so funny. Um, <laughs> I yeah. I oh my god. Can we? We we're not at the scene with Miles. Do we go to the scene where Miles was sleeping, was going to sleep, and they the had pigeon? that conversation? Nope. With the pigeon. Did we talk I about that? Glossed over that because I didn't know oh, what okay. you were talking about. 
that's okay. I want to bring that up real quick. That's like a weird scene in in general. Yeah. Like once again, violence. Pigeon is dead underneath yeah. his pillow. Yeah. I have theories about pigeons. Oh, I want to hear them. One, but... I want to talk about the pigeons for sure. But one thing that I thought was really interesting about that scene that I noticed today is like, okay, so like she's telling him like, why did you, why did you get expelled? Please tell me what's going on with you. Like I care about you. And like he like looks away and like is crying and there's like a mm-hmm. tear on his cheek and like it's yeah. it's shot. The tear is bright, but his head is turned away from her, but he is still looking at her. Yeah, mm. he turns away his head, but his fucking pupils are like dialed in right on Miss Giddens, mm-hmm. and I'm like, mm-hmm. this kid is manipulating the fuck out of you. Oh woman. yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. I didn't notice it the first time I watched the movie. Like I genuinely was like, oh, he turned away because he's sad, but like no, like he's waiting this to kid, see how she's like, something reacting. is going on. Yeah, he's watching her. Yeah, wild. That's all I had to say about that. <laughs> I want to know wh- how you read the pigeons because I wasn't quite sure. So. The pigeons, I think, in this movie are really interesting also because they're, like, stark white. You know, and white is obviously yeah. a color of innocence. Mm-hmm. But, like, do you remember the scene when Miles is, like, riding on the horse and, like, showing yeah. off? And she, like, hears the pigeons fly there away are no and, like, birds. a ruckus, but there's no... There are no, no birds. Don't, it's so yeah. weird. And it's it's also this interesting moment, too, and this ties into a conversation I wanted to have about, like, the innocence and, like, what the film is trying to say about that throughout because he's riding around like he's a white knight on a horse like this very classical like romantic picture Mm -hmm. and it's like she sees him for the first time like that and like the pigeons go off and she's like whoa that's interesting because that's not how i read that scene interesting okay that's cool i get it like now that you said it i was like oh that makes sense maybe that's what they were going for yeah because it's also paralleled at the end when with the sleeping beauty kiss when Mm. i saw that scene i was thinking it was like a I, like a moment where like Miles is like testing his limits and like yeah kind of showing that, that she has no control over him and is like running mm-hmm. around like look at me I'm hot shit yeah. and then like and it's in a way for her to show like her exhilaration at seeing him do yeah. something so crazy like once it's once again like intertwining together that idea of like, titillation and fear because yeah. she's obviously worried about him the entire time she's like biting her yeah. finger and like oh mm-hmm. my god. And then it ends, and she, what does she say when it's over? She says she doesn't scold him at all, which is wild to me because I'd be like, "Get the fuck off this horse! What are you doing?" Oh God, she says something. It's very complimentary. Like that was um that was very clever. Yes, she says that was very clever. It's like, what? Like he could have mm-hmm. died. Like <laughs> and, yeah, and he's like, "Oh, I I didn't know you were there." <laughs> you know, which also feels like very flirty. Like, oh, I'm just I trying know. to show off for yeah. you. This kid is so funny. Like, <laughs> Yeah, the pigeon, though, like, kind of going back to, like, that imagery, I also think it's really interesting that he has the dead pigeon under his pillow. Mm-hmm, yeah. Especially if you consider it, like, in connection, like I was saying, with a sexual awakening, as he's, like, burying it behind his pillow. Like, maybe he doesn't want to be seen as that sexual object, but also he puts it there for her to find. Or maybe... It's really maybe weird. he's, like, into the violence. I mean, it it's possible absolutely possible i don't fucking know the yeah, movie doesn't i mean i kind of I, I saw it as another example <laughs> yeah. of something that's contradictory just like you know you we wouldn't assume yeah. children would be evil in that sense mm-hmm. um so i kind of saw it as like it looks like on the surface that he's caring for this pigeon but the implication is that he caused harm he, he injured yes. it that's how i read it so it's kind of just mm-hmm. like what you see on the surface is not the truth mm-hmm. And he says, like, later and all, I think I mentioned this, he hurt things while he was at school. Mm-hmm. Like, he was, he, assumably, like, animals. Yeah. 
not other mm-hmm. children. Well, that's how it starts. Early serial killer exactly. times. One thing I kind of want to bring up before we do the last bit of the film is because we didn't really touch on that conversation between Mrs. Gross and Miss Giddens about like the past. Oh, yeah. We talked about Mrs. Gross being like, yeah, they were just like fucking all the time. <laughs> and he was really abusive. And like the kids saw all of it. And it was like a whole thing. But like, we didn't really talk about how quickly Miss Giddens turns on these kids. Yeah. It's like she hears all this and she's like, oh, I got it. They're being possessed mm-hmm. by the spirits of these people. And like Mrs. Gross says, they were always following behind Peter and Mrs. Jessel and mm-hmm. whispering. And then Miss Giddens is like, oh, I know what kind of things they were whispering mm-hmm. about. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. like she like zero to 60 so fast. Well, she was kind of, there yeah. was a bit of a buildup with yeah. like her seeing the ghost and then seeing Quint's picture yeah. and then like learning more. Yeah. But, you know, when she starts to put together that the song they're singing is the one from the, the music, music box. box. That Flora says Mrs. Gross gave her. Not even oh, Miss Jessel. Well, she said that Mrs. Gross put it in the attic. I thought she said she got it from Mrs. Gross, but I could. Be but I do like her. that line where they're walking in a church and she's like, "We're not even part of their life. Like they've been easy to live with, and that's because they're not even like living the same reality yeah. as us." I was like, "Damn, that's some heavy stuff." It's just insane. She like literally is like immediately saying like the children are lying to us. Mm-hmm. She just like she flips on them so fast and like. Yes, I, there is definitely, like, a build-up to it, but, like, she doesn't even give them, like, the benefit of the doubt. She's like, this is what is happening. This yeah. is how we're going to fix it. Yeah, I love how she knows. She's like, whether or not this their uncle's gonna come, I think I know what can save them, and it's me. <laughs> no, genuinely, I texted I texted Heidi when I was watching this for the first time, and I was like, this is bullshit. There's no fucking way she knows how to solve yeah. this problem. She's literally just pulling the shit out of her ass. You also have to remember, though, that her dad was, like, a, a, a Yes, and she's treating so it maybe, like an exorcism. Yeah, exactly like naming the entity and casting it out by naming it Mm -hmm. is very much a demonic exorcism yeah no that that's actually a really good point that's a really good point because i was like where is she getting this yeah i was like miss giddens what (laughs) and then i love okay now i'm stopping and you're gonna do the summary (laughs) and we're gonna talk about the rest of the movie when it's over (laughs) okay so Miss Giddens' plan. So, like, her first opportunity to attempt to get the kids to admit what's happening to them presents itself when she finds Flora dancing to a music box by the lake where we now know Miss Jessel drowned herself. While Miss Giddens tries to get Flora to admit she can see the apparition of Miss Jessel standing in the lake, Flora has a meltdown. She spends the rest of the night screaming and crying, clearly traumatized by the event. Mrs. Gross and Miss Giddens agree to send Flora away to get help, which will leave Miss Giddens and Miles alone. With the house to themselves, Miss Giddens presses Miles for answers about why he was expelled from school. He finally admits that he hurt things and said things that frightened the other children. And the more that she presses him about what's happening, the more wound up he gets. He lashes out at her and calls her names, and behind him, Miss Giddens sees the face of Peter Quint in the window, mimicking the words and laughing just like Miles as though Quint were puppeting the boy. Frightened by Miss Giddens, Miles runs into the garden and trips. And when she catches up to him, he asks her to forgive him for the things that he has said. And she seizes her opening to free Miles from Peter Quint at last, and she tells him to name the man. Admit that he can see him. Miles is crying and terrified, but just as he says Quint's name, he collapses to the ground. Miss Giddens is relieved, announces that he has been freed, but when she lifts him up, he is limp in her arms and unresponsive. She sobs and she kisses him on the lips. But Miles is dead. Wild. And this credits. is a wild ending. Yeah. I, the first time we watched this, I was like, genuinely, what is going on? I was so shook. <laughs> I did not expect it to land here at all. Same. And even watching it back, like, 
I've seen this like three times now and it gets to the end and I'm like, what the fuck is happening every single time? Mm -hmm. It all happens so quickly too. Yeah. So yeah. So let's take it back to, I was going to mention the scene with Flora by the lake. Like that's what I kind of wanted to talk about next. Yeah. Mostly just because I love this scene because like you could read it both ways so easily. I personally, like when I was reading it, I read it as a, like Miss Giddens is just like shoving this trauma down the throat of this little girl. Absolutely. And it's like, honestly, like kind of awful to watch. Like it's mm-hmm. one of the like more mm-hmm. unsettling parts of the movie because like, you're like, what are you doing? Yeah. She's not okay. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know, that scene like really resonated with me. I was just like, oh my mm-hmm. God, this poor girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, she's re-traumatizing her. Like that's just a fact. Trying to force her to be like, Miss Jessel is still here is just horrible. Especially because it's not true. And it's somebody that Flora was so close to. And, you know, we know from the beginning of the movie, don't mention Miss Jessel to Flora. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, that, like, you hear, like, she gets put in her room and she's, like, screaming. And yeah. mm-hmm. Mrs. Gross leaves the room and is, like, to hear such filth from a child's mouth. But, like, mm-hmm. we don't hear her say anything fucked right. up. We hear Miles no. say fucked yeah. up things. But we yeah. don't hear what Flora's saying that's fucked up. And I don't yeah. know if that's because, like, they didn't want the little girl saying fucked up shit. I or if so. it was because what we're thinking of is like filth is just like her being so messed up. Mm-hmm. I don't I know. I think Mrs. Gross says that she's cursing and like saying like phrases that no like child should say. I think, that, I think oh, that's yeah. what she says. And it, it's just like it reminds me of that scene from like The Exorcist. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When the kids just like saying yeah, all yeah. these things that are like blasphemous and are like gross and vile that you don't think should come out of a child's right. mouth. Which yeah. just like lends itself to like this kid's clearly possessed. She's she's yeah. she's swearing like a devil. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I I still don't know how to interpret, but I think is important, is that they mention several times they make an association between truth and imagination. Like at the beginning yeah. of the film, the uncle says truth is seldom understood by any but imaginative people, and like it's established that yeah. Miss Giddens said, says she's imaginative, but like at mm-hmm. several points. It's also said that Flora is an imaginative person. Like Miles says, she in- she invents her. things. She makes things up. So that mm-hmm. like, I'm almost kind of seeing, like, I don't know if it's really there, but I'm kind of seeing a parallel between Miss Giddens and Flora, both being imaginative Absolutely. and also oh, sure. like, you know, like Miss Giddens is kind of, she thinks she knows the truth and is exposing Flora to the truth. But like, who really sees the truth and who is really in a dream. And I, I don't know, like I'm seeing all yeah. these things kind of intertwine and I don't exactly know what it means, but it's of note mm-hmm. either. I think that kind of jumping forward to the end, like the end of the film for like a hot second. I think that once the film ends, you're kind of like, okay, so it was ghosts because why else would Miles die? But then you're thinking about it for like another second. And you're like, but like, what if it wasn't like, <laughs> yeah and i think that this scene with flora is kind of a good indicator of like that ambiguity Mm -hmm. because on one hand she could have been possessed and that's why she's spewing all this bullshit but on the other hand she was obviously around these two adults who were like going through it and not really doing the best at like hiding their business from the children and like she could have picked up on whatever Mm -hmm. kids hear more than you think that they hear and they internalize more than you think absolutely they pick up more than you think they pick up so like it's completely possible that she had a mental breakdown and started fucking cursing out yeah. uh, Mrs. Gross mm-hmm. because, like, she's just, like, not okay. And we already know that, like, there is, like, there is a strange quality to both of these children. They are both, yeah. they're both mature and immature at the same time. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, you could easily attribute all that to their trauma and you could attribute Flora's behavior in the scene to just like being re-traumatized mm-hmm. completely yeah. with a hundred percent ease. And you also like don't really get any catharsis with Flora the way that we kind of do mm-hmm. with Miles. So I think that also mm-hmm. kind of leaves it as like a question mark because she's sending Flora away, but like did she really fix Flora? Like you can't really tell. No, she mm-hmm. looks kind of catatonic when she's in the in the carriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's kind of like one of the big questions, one of the points I was I was like dwelling on while I was thinking about like what this film is saying about innocence. Because the way that Miss Giddens like tries to force her notion of innocence on these kids is really damaging to them. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't want them to grow up despite the fact that they're they're clearly traumatized kids, you mm-hmm. know? Like they've already dealt with so much that you would think would, you know, make them less innocent. You know, like they've seen Miss Jessel and Quinn having sex and that, you know, sex is usually something that we equate with a loss of innocence, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But like essentially like her trying to force innocence on Miles kills him in like some roundabout way. Like we don't actually understand yeah, I why yeah, Miles is dead. Do not fucking know why Miles is dead. I love mm-hmm. how I love I love that like Heidi was like yesterday, she was like, Did you even know that he was dead the first time you watched that movie? <laughs> I didn't. Straight I up did. To be fair, because I was so confused by the end of the movie, I pulled up the Wikipedia summary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like I can't really tell if I knew for sure or not, but I did know because I also read the summary. Yeah. But I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Well, I wanna like- <laughs> I wanna rewind, not to to dwell on this kiss, but it obviously makes me very uncomfortable. We gotta talk about the kiss. But I did find it super fascinating how she is visibly unsettled and uneasy around miles like every time she's in the same room with him and even talking about him and i kind of took that on the surface to be because she's afraid of him corrupting her like she says before she meets him like i like a boy with spirit or something like that but not ones with the ability to contaminate and i thought that was a very interesting choice of words to corrupt yeah she does say Mm -hmm. contaminate though she does say contaminate No, she says them both she She says says to contaminate and then to corrupt yes I just love her delivery of those lines. Yes. And then, so, you know, kind of in my mind, the kiss is like contamination, like direct contamination. He is passing something on to her and corrupting her. But I don't know. There, there are lots of layers to this. So I'm very interested to know how you both saw this. The kiss happens in the same scene with the dead pigeon. Yes. And there's just a lot happening in that scene in general, like mm-hmm. as we've already kind of discussed. What I love about the way that the kiss is shown in the film is the way that it's shot i love that it's like a mid size whatever figure i forget what two shot? Forget, how, forget the technical term it's not a two shot it's just like a shot on them from like a medium distance away and he enters the frame that she's already in kisses her the kiss is like way longer she does not back away be. she mm. doesn't back away it's definitely got like it's definitely not an innocent kiss Mm -hmm. and then when he pulls away she's like horrified but like the camera is she horrified is she she's like horrified but she's also not yet again like she literally this actress like deborah (laughs) she (laughs) is like they linger on her mouth and it's just so sexual Mm -hmm. like i (laughs) yeah I was, like, genuinely, like, shocked at, like, the entirety of the scene. Like, how long the kiss was, the way that her mouth is when the kiss is over. Like, I was just like, what is happening? And then the look on his face mm-hmm. when he just lays back down, or lies back down. And he's know. like, I yeah. just fucking did that. And his face is actually, like, kind of blurry. 
and yeah. it doesn't even look like him. It's really mm-hmm. interesting. It's so weird. And it's also really interesting because it's wrong, but it's not necessarily framed as like wrong. It's mm-hmm. framed as like something that's interesting to her. I don't know. It's just like fucked up. Like, <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. So this like brings me to a question. Cool. Like I have like a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. The first, do you think that Miss Giddens' repressed sexuality is manifesting in pedophilia in this film? Based solely on her interaction with Miles. Here's what I think. (sighs) Kind of. And my answer to that is going to kind of build upon what I said earlier. That like sometimes sexuality and sexual response doesn't come out in things that we necessarily agree with as rational beings. Yeah. And I think that she is sexually interested in what's happening. And she is like in this environment where there is definitely this undeniable sexual energy. Mm -hmm. And I think that she is like aroused and she's reacting to that arousal, but she doesn't Mm -hmm. like that. She's doing that. I agree with you. Basically. I just think it's like a reaction to the environment, but I also think that, you know, because she's a woman in Victorian times, like she's repressed, she's alone, she's obviously mm-hmm. like a little pent up. I think that she's just kind of like not sure what to do with those feelings. And because of that, mm-hmm. they're coming out in strange ways. I think Quint plays into this because if she truly believes that Quint is possessing Miles, there's some sort of attraction that she has to Quint, even though she knows how terrible of a person he was. She sees his photo, she sees his ghost, and then I think even when Mm -hmm. she's describing him, Mrs. Gross is like, was he a handsome man? And she's like, oh yes, very handsome. So I Mm -hmm. think she there's a level of attraction between or there's a level of attraction she she has to him. And because she thinks that he is inhabiting Miles' body, it's kind of unavoidable for her to to be able she can't distinguish the two. So it's kind of like there's a Mm -hmm. little bit of attraction to miles because she's kind of considering him as quint i would definitely agree with that like one of the things that i brought up when i was talking to heidi about this other day was like the idea that peter quint as a figure is a figure of like sexual magnetism that's like his primary Mm -hmm. characteristic and it was also like another thing that i was like this is interesting in terms of like differences between the tv series and the movie because like it's hinted at and talked about a lot in the movie and you get the reactions from it but you don't really see it like to the audience, Quint is not really like a sexual figure in the way that he's like interacting on screen. But to Miss Giddens, who's like hearing these stories and literally like having either like actual experiences, like hearing them making love or like mm-hmm. hallucinating it or like whatever the fuck she's doing in the hallway, like she's building him up as like this intensely sexual being in her mind. Yeah. And it's interesting because in the like, Netflix series in Bly Manor, like you get that same sort of energy from Peter's character, but like it's done with a lot more intention, I think, in like how he is portrayed because like he's an actual character in the series. Mm -hmm. So like you get to like see him interact with women in the show. So like it's a lot more obvious, I guess, is kind of like what I'm going, what I'm getting at. Like the first time. Like I said, like the first time I watched this movie, like I wasn't picking up on a lot of that sexual energy. Like when you're watching the miniseries, you're like, oh yeah, I know this totally makes sense. Like also like they're like casting this like attractive actor and he's doing his thing and he's like obviously flirting with Miss Jessel, like all, all that's happening in the miniseries. Whereas you just see this like kind of creepy ghost guy in the movie. 
he's just like a peeping tom for most of yeah. it. He's just like, yeah, like it's like he's creepy. Like it's like oh girl, that is don't. that is interesting to know <laughs> to note the difference there because I mean in the movie, Mrs. Gross outright says like Quint had a lot of power over people, so there's kind of like the yeah. sense that he was also manipulative and he was able to kind of persuade people to do things that maybe they normally wouldn't do. I mean, obviously he abuses Miss Chessel and she's seemingly mm-hmm. okay with it, even though she might, yeah. she's probably not. So it's kind of like if he's possessing Miles, he's also kind of exerting that power over Miss Giddens and it's kind of irresistible to her. And then you get like the parallels between the uncle, between Quint, mm-hmm. between Miles mm-hmm. and how all three of them are like, apparently these just like charming dudes who just like, manipulate women into doing whatever they want them to do mm-hmm. and you can't really deny that because that's what we're seeing in the film that's like what's happening mm-hmm. after miles does all this like weird shit miss giddens is still 100 percent dedicated to the cause like i'm going to save this child and not that she should just dump him but like she could just mm-hmm. send him away to london and be like i'm not doing this like <laughs> yeah and like when she's trying yeah. to she's kind of like trying when she's trying to get him to basically like tell her the truth she says something like, you're just like any other boy. There's nothing different about you. And he's like, clearly you don't believe that because we'd be in a very different situation yeah. if you actually thought that was true. Like that you mm-hmm. know that there is something about me that unsettles you and that is not yeah. normal. Which is such a... Oh God. When he said that, I was like, that's... That that's, is good. Yeah, That's like, so exciting. That is good. Ah so cool i also really like in that scene at the end when she's like on her knees talking to him and she's like i'm not a cruel person i'm sometimes very foolish and i make mistakes Mm -hmm. but i'm not cruel my father taught me to love people and to help them even if they refused my help and even if it hurt them sometimes Mm -hmm. and i was like that's a lot there's a lot to unpack there (laughs) just like that idea of hearing those words and not really knowing what exactly they mean in the context of a film like what because, mm-hmm. like, you don't really know what she's doing to Miles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That was the first question, right? <laughs> that was the first question. The second one, like, as as I continue to watch it, and the more that, like, that the facts of, like, the relationship between Quint and Miss Jessel and knowing that the kids were watching them, that other people had just stumbled on it. Do you think there's something that happened between Quint and Miles or Quint and Flora was there like a sexual relationship that might have happened between the kids or that it was like instigated by Quint? Is there incest that was happening? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't either. I think that the scene that would be the most relevant to this question, both between Miles and Flora and between Peter and Quint and uh, Miss Jessel and Flora, Peter and Quint, Quentin Miles <laughs> and Miss Jessel and Laura uh, would be that dream she yeah. has yeah. where she's like rolling around in bed and then like she they have like these superimposed images of like mm-hmm. Miles and Flora being very close and whispering to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and secrets clearly equal sex in this movie. Yeah. And like just like the intimacy of them like leaning close together and like mm-hmm. whispering to each other and like the way that they're framed so, like yeah. you only see like their mouths mm-hmm. and then like you see like a shot of Quint like putting his arm around Miles yeah. and like they're walking yeah. together and you see Miss Jessel and Flora dancing and mm-hmm. the entire vibe of the dream sequence has like a sexual tone to it because like yeah. of the way that you see Miss Giddens in bed like 
rolling around and like writhing like gasping Mm -hmm. so like i think that there is definitely an implication there but it's hard to tell whether or not it's real Mm -hmm. because like you do see miles and flora being very very close together but like you know they're two isolated kids in a giant estate so like i can't really say Mm -hmm. that that's strange who have been through like a lot together yeah like i mean i know like me and my little sister we were like that when we were kids like we were just like constantly Mm -hmm. together so like i can't really like say that that means Mm -hmm. that there's something untoward going on yeah but i think that we're definitely i think that we're definitely supposed to read that miss giddens is seeing it yeah miss giddens 100 percent believes that miles and flora are you know doing what they do in the dark woods. each other yeah exactly because that's why she's afraid to leave them alone like if i leave them alone then quint and miss jessel are gonna like possess them and make them do sexual acts with each other i don't think that the film itself is trying to say that that's happening but i feel like it, it leaves room for doubt much like it does with everything mm-hmm. in the film like yeah. there's just room for doubt yeah it's oh it's so weird like <laughs> yeah why does miles die i don't know what? I don't know. And and then, like, in one sense, like, I get it from, like, a thematic sense where it's, like, you know, like, innocence always dies. Like, you can never remain truly innocent. And I mean, like, he he makes that comment when he's talking about what he wants to be after... Oh, a boy apply. After Miss Giddens. Yeah. yeah. But we know that that, that, that can't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you can't always be... A, you, you're never going to be a child forever. You have to grow up and you have to, like, face adulthood and like the corruption that comes with that and i say corruption in in quotes of course yeah but like and i think that's also something that's like really poignant about that scene with the spider and the butterfly flora is she's just okay with death which makes sense because she you know her parents died and miss jessel died and peter quint died and like there's just been a lot of death in her life but miss giddens is like horrified that flora is just ready to accept that Mm -hmm. you know And, and miss giddens feels like throughout the whole movie that she's just trying to like not only go back to her own innocence by like being like a playmate rather than like an adult or like a parent to these kids. Yeah. And it harms them, you know, like mm-hmm. I said earlier. Yeah. I mean, I think that I think that's like completely right. And it goes back to what Laura was saying about like protecting the morality of the children yeah. and like kind of enforcing mm-hmm. what she thinks it, they should act like onto them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's interesting like to be like the end of the film is like innocence can't survive because i definitely Mm -hmm. i definitely see that Mm -hmm. but i'm also kind of like if we're looking at the film and looking at miles's behavior throughout the entire film like even like the first minute he gets off the train Mm -hmm. we're doubting his innocence there's something off about him the entire time like the minute he hands her that bouquet and then like comments on how pretty she is it's like that's weird we're also primed to kind of be wary of him though because of the whole expulsion thing and how miss giddens reacts oh yeah yes totally a hundred percent yes but like i think it would be easy to argue that he's not innocent throughout this entire Mm -hmm. film and like maybe the end Mm -hmm. of the film he's punished for that exactly yeah and that's kind of like what i was trying to say like he can't return to innocence like she wants so he he dies he's like a casualty to that that's fucked oh yeah but yeah and i do think like it's it's so interesting too the the way that she tries to revive him is like out of a fairy tale just like furthering this like miss giddens is also trying to get back to her own innocence Mm -hmm. yeah so so i want to get your thoughts on the whole debate about whether this was literally happening you know the ghosts were there Mm -hmm. and possessing the children or whether it's kind of all in her mind I think in the context of the film, The Innocence, I do think that it's in her mind. And I think that's in part because 
we know that she's like super into the uncle right mm-hmm. and so she's like carrying that sexual frustration in and i think i'm gonna go kind of spooky on you guys for a second <laughs> there's like a type of haunting called a poltergeist where you're manifesting it with your mind and so mm-hmm. like the sheer like pent-up sexual energy that she's carrying into this scenario is like popping off mm-hmm. in the setting around her like she's just manifesting it not even intentionally and she doesn't realize it yeah but like i think that's what's happening i see that and i i want to acknowledge my bias because i don't i typically don't like it when that's an explanation for a film i i feel that's like fair. it's a little <laughs> lazy to be like it was all in their mind, especially for women. Like, she's crazy. This didn't happen. Yeah. She's hysterical. And that's, yeah, that's like, not yeah, to, like, downplay the the power that the mind can have over how you perceive reality. Like, total, mm-hmm. that's totally for legitimate. Sure. And we should have stories about that. But it just kind of feels like, I don't know, like, we just watched this whole thing and I got super into it. And then, like, for the interp- for the explanation to be none of this really happened, it's, it's like... Maybe yeah. it's it's not novel anymore because like we've seen stories like that. Yeah. So maybe at that point in time, I don't know. Maybe that was a more yeah a more novel. Than I mean, the the events of the film are happening. Everything that's happening is happening around her. Just like the ghosts are like an invention of her mind, and it's driving her crazy. Right. I do also think that it's important to note that this is different than like you wake up at the end of it and it's all a dream. Yes. From the very beginning, you're put into everything is put into question. The film is about whether or not it's real. It's not like yeah. Throwing I mean, it it's wrong. So yeah, I didn't mean like it didn't actually happen, but like yeah, yeah, I know. I just think that like for a film like this, I'm more likely to forgive the use of that trope because like that's what they're mm-hmm. going for from the get go. Yeah. But I do like. Okay, here's the thing. So like, I am also inclined to believe that it's all happening in her head, but then like that doesn't explain why Miles dies. I think that the only no. explanation for why Miles dies at the end of the film would be that the ghosts are real. Yeah. Yeah, but if the, even if the ghost is possessing him, there's you don't die when you're exercised. You don't know that. I'm making such a face of you. Unless he was under like <laughs> so much distress and shock, and you know he's being berated by this person who's supposed to be taking care of him. Like yeah. it, uh, then maybe something happened when he fell. Like maybe there's something wrong with his brain. Oh, now we're <laughs> now we're snowballing. I, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I see what you're saying, Natalie. Like, I I don't really see another explanation for it. I, I honestly, I just want to watch a movie where ghosts possess children. I mean, I think that's an interesting story. So, I mean, I, to- I, I totally <laughs> see the the kind of psychological interpretation of it. I just don't like it as much. <laughs> I really like the psychological. Okay, this is this is my bias against possession films coming out right now. I like that it, you can't tell. I yeah prefer the film to other ghost movies because you're not sure what's going on that's fair that's fair i agree i think that makes it more dynamic and interesting for me like Mm -hmm. i think that i think there's like a tendency in possession films for things to be kind of mundane yeah but i think that the fact that you don't know Mm -hmm. like just adds like this really interesting i should clarify i it's not that i don't like the ambiguity i think that's totally fine i just don't like the reading that I shouldn't even say I don't like it. I just prefer the reading that those things actually happened and that she wasn't imagining. You're like, them. I just want there to be ghosts. I just, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I like it better. I mean, that's, I, I, what else can I say? Mm-hmm. But it's definitely different from other more yeah. contemporary possession films. Like they don't show the possession. It's yeah. not like kind of exploiting the possession itself. It's just kind of showing mm-hmm. the consequences of it. So I guess I, I viewed it as a different, like I didn't even think of it as really a possession film, even though that's what's happening in yeah. it. 
because it's so different from yeah. the other ones that exist. Mm-hmm. I definitely, I don't know. I just, I really, really want it to be on her head. But like Miles dying is like the nail in the coffin for me. Like it goes surreal because Miles is dead now. And I mm-hmm. think that, I mean, because you, you, we've seen people die due to possession and other pieces of media before. Like it happened in like the Exorcist TV show. Yeah, but that gu- that guy's neck broke. I mean, yeah, but, like, there are other instances of it and other things. I can't think of them right now, but, like, they're real. And, <laughs> it, it, like, I'm just saying, but then, I love well, I mean, it, it also It's the difference from being possessed yeah. by a demon versus a spirit. Like, a, a ghost, somewhat benign. Like, well, they're not really benign. They're a little malicious, but. Oh, they're, they're not, like, demonic evil. Yeah. Like, there's, like, a difference. I just, I don't know. I think that there could be natural explanations for it that aren't explained, but I think mostly his death is just thematic. You know, like, I don't, I don't think, like, you don't think you're supposed to read into it. He just has to die. You can't not read into it. I don't know. Like, the ghosts only wanted to use their body for, like, I guess, like, sexual purposes, according to the film. Well, that's what Miss Giddens thinks. That's what she thinks. I think it's also to return to Bly and live at the estate, because Miles mentioned several times how much he loves returning there and how much he loves the house and the garden and everything like that. I want to talk about that. Sure. Because that is something that I... I've watched this movie three times now, (laughs) and every single time I watch it, I just do not fucking get it. Like, why are they so obsessed with Bly? It's where the romance Like, What do you guys take from that? (laughs) <laughs> i mean the idea of a beautiful english country manor and like having this picturesque childhood is one that like comes up all the time i mean that's innocent like and mrs gross even says exactly mrs gross even like says like this is a heaven for children like think about it like you have so much room to roam and it's beautiful oh my god and like you're free from all of the corruption of the big city it's a heaven and he's going to live there forever apparently <laughs> i don't know i guess it's just there's just something romantic about like returning returning to a place like that returning to a place where you are innocent yeah Mm -hmm. that's good that's good i i didn't i genuinely had no read on it so like that's good like yeah i agree i really like this film i think that it is just like one of those atmospheric movies that manages to do exactly what it intends to do like a lot of the times you'll watch like kind of slow burn atmospheric psychological and they just like don't do anything Mm -hmm. And, like, not a lot happens in this film at the bare bones of it. But, like, it just feels like there's constantly so much happening behind the scenes. And mm-hmm. there's Yeah, I mean, I think on. based on our conversation, there are so many scenes that you can pick out that are integral to how the story progresses yeah. and have so many details to them that you just don't catch if you watch it once through or you know, aren't paying yeah, very like, much attention. That's why I think this is definitely one of my favorite, like, ghosty horror films. I'm sure we're going to talk yeah. about more ghost films moving forward. Like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Mm-hmm. But this is definitely one of my favorites. I'm really glad that it was, like, your first pick, Heidi, because, like, yeah, I'm glad that your first ghost pick was something that I really liked. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, like, this one is just, like, so different, and that's why I think it's it's so good for, like, a first one. It's very intellectual, and it's really, like, when you think about, like, the way that we're analyzing it, it's, like, very, like, textual. Like, it feels like we're really analyzing the book, you Mm -hmm. know, like, the actual words and, like, what's happening, and I think that's really unique. I also really appreciate like how much of a fucking 180 we just did for my pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like I'm really, I'm really, really going to be bringing a different kind of I mean, it just kind of demonstrates the breadth, to these sessions. the breadth of the genre. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, yes. there's so many things yeah. to choose from. 
for everyone's taste. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening to the entirety of this podcast. Hopefully it was insightful and hopefully you had a good time. If you have anything that you want to like, I don't know, like let us know or like have opinions about the film or want us to talk about Bly Manor for an episode or something, mm-hmm. hit us up on social media. Our Instagram is the Slashers Prefer Blondes podcast and uh, we would love to see you there. Also, please do not forget to rate and subscribe and like maybe leave a review on the podcasting app of your choice. It'll mean a lot to us. We don't know what we're doing yet, but like the fact that you listen to this entire episode means so much to us. And like we just like talking about movies and we want to talk about movies with more people. So like hit us up. Okay. Next week is Laura's Laura. Pick. It's the movie that she thinks kind of showcases what she likes about horror. Laura, what is the movie? The movie is David Cronenberg's The Brood. <sighs> bum, bum, bum. 1979, billed as horror sci-fi. Um, I don't want to give too much away. Obviously, it's a Cronenberg film. He's a, a body horror auteur. I don't know where you stand on the death of the author argument, so you might not agree with the word auteur. But was that too? That was way too pretentious. <laughs> no, it, it's fine. good. You have to be yourself. Okay. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was a compliment. Um, oh, I love you yeah. so much. <laughs> so, um, well, Criterion acknowledged it in their collections, so you know it's good. That's also bougie. but basically yeah that's true, damn it. <laughs> so basically yeah I'm choosing this because it is not my favorite. Well, body horror is my thing, my preferred genre. It's not my favorite, but it's definitely one we're talking about. It's definitely enjoyable, and it's definitely weird and fucked up. So yeah, that that kind of sums up the type of film that I usually go for. I also definitely I like that you chose The Brood as our first Cronenberg adventure because it's not my favorite Cronenberg film. But I do really like that we're starting off with something that's very centered on motherhood. For sure. The abject mother is, it's like one of the most, I'd probably say one of the most prominent examples of abject motherhood and kind of the monstrous feminine going along with that. So it's definitely, there's a lot going on psychologically as well. There's a huge element of the story. I mean, the story is basically about a woman who's receiving treatment for what is believed to be a psychological disorder. But there's a lot more going on behind that. And it's about how her husband reacts to that and how her doctors treat her. So there's a lot going on with how psychological ailment manifests physically, which is what I'm all about. So yeah, that's my pick. Okay, so yeah, thank you guys all for listening. We'll see you next time to talk about The Brood. And yeah, like, leave us a message. Subscribe. Like us. Rate us. Review us. Review us. And share. Yeah, and share. Tell us what you shall do when your Lord comes knocking. When he's Yes. And when he's arisen from his grave. Please God, let us know what you will do when your Lord comes knocking. (laughs) We really need to know. From the grave. We really need to know. Okay, everybody. Curry. Okay, bye. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) See you next time. (laughs) 